European Hearts Journal issue at a glance. Volume 39, issue 30. Focus issue on heart failure by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, unravelling an enigma. The management of chronic heart failure has made impressive progress over the last decades. However, progress was mainly restricted to patients with reduced ejection fraction, or HFREF, and more recently those with mid-range ejection fraction, HFMREF, while heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, or HFPEF, remains an enigma in spite of its considerable morbidity and mortality. Indeed, inhibitors of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system and beta-blockers have revolutionized the management of HFREF but provide little or no benefit in HFPEF. Obviously, we have not fully understood the causes of HFPEF, a topic that Carolyn S. P. Lam and colleagues from the National Heart Center in Singapore try to address in their review Heart Failure with Preserved Ejection Fraction, or HFPEF, from Mechanisms to Therapies. A key concept in this review is that HFPEF is a hemodynamic condition wherein the heart fails to keep up with the circulatory demands of the body or does so at the expense of raised left ventricular filling pressures. The authors therefore propose that the final common pathway for development of congestion, i.e. the basic hemodynamic mechanisms of increased left ventricular end-diastolic pressure, left atrial hypertension, pulmonary venous congestion, and plasma volume expansion, represent important initial targets for therapy in HFPEF. Accordingly, they group this review into six mechanisms translating into potential therapies for HFPEF, beginning with three hemodynamic mechanisms, i.e. left atrial hypertension, plasma volume expansion, and working backwards to three potential molecular mechanisms, i.e. systemic microvascular inflammation, cardiometabolic functional abnormalities, genetic abnormalities in the contractile apparatus, extracellular fibrosis, and structural abnormalities. Advances in precision medicine are likely to have transformative effects on the way heart failure is managed in the years to come, as further outlined in a review entitled Transitioning from Usual Care to Biomarker-Based Personalized and Precision Medicine in Heart Failure, Call for Action, by Anthony Baez Genis and colleagues from the Hospital Universitari Germans Trias y Puyol in Badalona, Spain. The authors note that circulating biomarkers measured with highly sensitive, specific and reproducible assays will have increasingly important roles in heart failure for patient-level risk assessment and therapeutic targeting. However, Many questions remain unanswered, ranging from the intricacies of clinical use and adequacy of reference cutoff values, to the cellular and molecular mechanisms of biomarker production and release from the healthy and the failing heart or possibly extracardiac organs 
to the critically important therapeutic implications. While data currently focus on the use of biomarkers to identify heart failure, stratify its risk, and possibly generically guide therapy with drugs developed for diseases other than heart failure, the authors believe the future must bring a much more individualized and focused treatment strategy, including the use of complex phenotype-genotype analyses, as well as the use of precision therapies targeting deleterious mediator pathways in heart failure. A broad research agenda that spans the spectrum of basic and translational studies through to sub-studies of clinical trials investigating novel therapies and their effect among groups defined according to biomarker values will be needed to fully position companion biomarkers in heart failure precision medicine. Some forms of HF-PEF are beginning to be understood in their mechanisms. Indeed, cardiac transthyretin, or ATTR, amyloidosis, is an increasingly recognized progressive and fatal cardiomyopathy where specific therapies are being developed. In their article, a new staging system for cardiac transthyretin, or ATTR, amyloidosis, Julian Gilmore and colleagues from the University College London Medical School in the UK sought to establish and validate a new prognostic staging system applicable to patients with both wild-type and hereditary variants. 869 patients with cardiac transthyretin amyloidosis, 553 with wild-type and 316 with the hereditary variant, were stratified into three disease stages at baseline on the basis of cut points in two universally measured biomarkers, NT-proBNP and estimated GFR. The staging system was validated in a French cohort of 318 patients with cardiac ATTR amyloidosis. Median survival among stage 1 patients was 69 months, among stage 2 patients 47 months, and among stage 3 patients was 24 months. After adjusting for age, compared to stage 1, the hazard ratio for death for stage 2 was 2.05, and for stage 3 was 3.80. Thus, this simple, universally applicable staging system stratifies patients with both wild-type and hereditary variant amyloid cardiomyopathy into prognostic categories. It will be of value in the design of forthcoming clinical trials of novel amyloid-specific therapies, as further discussed in a thoughtful editorial by Rodney Falk from Harvard University School of Medicine in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. Increases in left ventricular filling pressure are a fundamental hemodynamic abnormality in HFPEF. However, very little is known regarding how elevated filling pressures cause pulmonary abnormalities or symptoms of dyspnea. In their article, Hemodynamics, Dyspnea, and Pulmonary Reserve in Heart Failure with Preserved Ejection Fraction, Barry A. Borlaug and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA, 
sought to determine the relationships between simultaneously measured central hemodynamics, symptoms, and lung ventilatory and gas exchange abnormalities during exercise in HFPEF. 50 patients with invasively proven HFPEF and 24 subjects with non-cardiac causes of dyspnea underwent cardiac catheterization at rest and during exercise with simultaneous expired gas analysis. During submaximal exercise, subjects with HFPEF displayed higher pulmonary capillary wedge pressures and pulmonary artery pressures, higher Borg-perceived dyspnea scores, and increased ventilatory drive and respiratory rate. At peak exercise, ventilation reserve was reduced in HFPEF compared to controls with greater dead space ventilation. Increasing exercise pulmonary capillary wedge pressures was directly correlated with higher perceived dyspnea scores, lower peak exercise capacity, greater ventilatory drive, worse NYHA functional class, and impaired pulmonary ventilation reserve. Thus, altered exercise hemodynamics are linked to pulmonary abnormalities and symptoms of dyspnea in patients with HFPEF. Further study is required to identify the mechanisms by which hemodynamic derangements affect lung function and symptoms, and to test novel therapies targeting exercise hemodynamics in HFPEF, as further discussed in an editorial by Milton Packer from Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, USA. Pulmonary hypertension and pulmonary vascular disease are common and associated with adverse outcomes in HFPEF. In their second article, Exercise Unmasks Distinct Pathophysiologic Features in Heart Failure with Preserved Ejection Fraction and Pulmonary Vascular Disease, Barry A. Borlaug and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA, remind us that little is known about the impact of pulmonary vascular disease on the pathophysiology of exercise intolerance. 161 HFPEF patients with elevated pulmonary capillary wedge pressures greater than or equal 15 millimeters of mercury at rest were classified into three groups, non-pulmonary hypertension HFPEF, pulmonary hypertension but no pulmonary disease, i.e. isolated post-capillary hypertension, and pulmonary hypertension with pulmonary vascular disease, i.e. combined post- and pre-capillary pulmonary hypertension. At rest, combined post- and pre-capillary pulmonary hypertension HFPEF patients had more right ventricular dysfunction and lower pulmonary arterial compliance compared to all other groups. While right atrial pressure and left ventricular transmural pressure were similar in HFPEF with and without pulmonary hypertension or pulmonary vascular disease at rest, combined post- and pre-capillary pulmonary hypertension HFPEF patients demonstrated greater increase in right atrial pressure, enhanced ventricular independence, and paradoxical reduction in left ventricular transmural pressure during exercise compared to other groups. 
lower pulmonary artery compliance was correlated with greater increase in right arterial pressure with exercise. During exercise, combined post- and pre-capillary pulmonary hypertension HFPEF patients displayed an inability to enhance cardiac output, reduction in forward stroke volume, and blunted augmentation in right ventricular systolic performance, changes that were coupled with marked limitation in aerobic capacity. Thus, HFPEF with pulmonary vascular disease demonstrate unique hemodynamic limitations during exercise that constrain aerobic capacity, including impaired recruitment of LV preload due to excessive right heart congestion and blunted right ventricular systolic reserve. Interventions targeted to this distinct pathophysiology require testing in patients with HFPEF and pulmonary vascular disease. These complex hemodynamics are further discussed in an editorial by Hans-Peter Brunner-La Rocha from the University Hospital in Maastricht, the Netherlands. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.